As always, it is my pleasure and a privilege to open up God's Word with you today. So I'll invite you, if you have your Bibles, to go ahead and open up to the sixth chapter of the book of Daniel. Again, that's Daniel chapter 6, as we continue in our series, The Most High God, Sovereign Overall. And uh, perhaps like me, you've remarked with others how fitting it has been that we find ourselves in this book at this time with all that's going on in the world uh, when things seem to be out of control what comfort there is in knowing there is a God in heaven who is in control and Daniel reminds us that this Sovereign oversight of our God is not ours to question, even when we find ourselves in the dark of Babylon, far away from the comfort of home and normalcy. But instead, we are to remain faithful and to trust, not in ourselves or even in each other, but in the Most High, for he is sovereign over all. And five chapters in now, we've come to the the final section, uh, chapter six here, of the narrative portion of Daniel. In these first six chapters, five chapters up to our point, uh, we've seen a lot of examples of this theme playing through, that God is the Most High and he is sovereign. And this is the kind of closing of the storytelling format uh, in this book of Daniel. And next week, uh, the literature of Daniel's writing is going to change. And you'll see a bit of that with Pastor Jay next week. Uh, It will be less storytelling format. It'll change to something quite different with an eye on the future. A little teaser for you there. But for our purposes today, we come to the last section of story. And uh, a little review of where we've been up to this point in the book. Uh, So far, as I mentioned, the writing has been a recount of the history and the events surrounding this Jewish exile, Daniel. A bit about his friends, but especially concerning this guy, Daniel, who rose to prominence, prominence in the king's court of the very kingdom that had conquered his nation and ravaged his homeland. And we've seen Daniel, or Belteshazzar, as was his given Babylonian name, we've seen him interpret multiple dreams of kings and thus win over their favor. Uh, he seemed to always be in the right place at the right time with just the right thing to say. Of course, something only explainable by divine providence of the Most High, sovereign overall. Uh, he is real and present even in Babylon, sovereign over the kings and kingdoms of men, even over their dreams and visions, over the fires of death and doom, who sets up whomever he wills, and yes, who removes whomever he wills, and who holds your very breath in his hands. Yes, he is the most high God, 
sovereign over all. And today's story is just another example added on to the pile of evidences we have that God works in the midst of the darkness, even dark time for his people. He's still present. He's still working, even in the darkness. And we'll see in our story, even when the enemies outnumber our friend Daniel, and even when the system is bent against him, even when there is no earthly hope of escape, the Most High God does not abandon his faithful servant. We'll see that God is a God of deliverance. And how thankful we should be that God delivers. Our friend Daniel faced certain death. And we should be thankful too that God delivers because we too, apart from his rescue, we too face certain death. And not a painless, romantic, or easy falling asleep death, but a torment of which there is no end one we justly deserve. But our story today screams this hope and truth in the face of hell itself. God saves. God saves. Our God saves. That's what we're going to talk about today. First, let's, let's pray to him and ask for his help for our time. Heavenly Father, we do pause now before we jump in to explore your word together, and we thank you for it. We thank you for the Bible. Thank you for showing yourself to us in it, showing us what you are like, revealing yourself to us. For we know that apart from your word, we, we could not come to know you, apart from you revealing yourself. So we thank you for that. We ask that you would do just that during our time together. Would you use this time to bring us to a better knowledge of who you are. We know how much we need this. And through doing so, would you help us see who we are truly as well and how we are to live in this broken world. So we ask that you be with us, help us during this time, we pray. In the name of Jesus and through the Spirit, amen. Okay, so you got your Bibles? We are in Daniel chapter 6. And we're going to start off by reading just the first five verses here. Then we'll hop out. We'll talk a little bit about it. And we'll hop back in. We'll do a little bit of in and out this morning. But first, let's start with these first five verses. This is God's word. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials, of whom... Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, 
We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. All right, so right off the bat, we're reminded there's a new sheriff in town, a new king, a new kingdom, in fact. As we learned just from last week's text with Pastor Luke, this guy Darius the Mede and the Medo-Persians overtook the mighty Babylon in a single night. King Nebuchadnezzar's dream was fulfilled just like that, as was the prophecy of Jeremiah that the Medes themselves would enact the vengeance of the Lord over the destruction of his temple. But make no mistake here, while it was the Medo-Persian men who conquered Babylon, it was men who held swords and spears and shields that night, they did so only as instruments of God's hand. The Most High rules the kingdom of men and sets over it whom he will. Are you tired of hearing this theme yet? The Most High, sovereign over all. Daniel's hammering it over and over again. So here we find God sets up this new superpower, Medo-Persia. And he does so with a purpose. In the book of Ezra and in other places, we learn that God would use this new empire to fulfill the prophecy of Jeremiah and return his people home to Judah. The exile was ending after 70 long years, just as promised. They get to return home. The wording in Ezra is that God moved in the heart of King Cyrus, this new king, to accomplish this and even to use his kingdom's wealth to fund the rebuilding of the temple. So, hey, Things are starting to look up again for God's people. Sort of. We're we're headed in the right direction, at least homeward. We're going home. Uh, God, as he always had been, was working on their behalf. This was all according to his plan. He knew the plans he had for them. So back to this Darius guy. Um, So if you're into the historical background stuff, There's some debate about who this Darius that we find in our text here is. Because the title, Darius, probably probably was not a proper name, but just that, a a title. A title that meant something like he who holds the scepter. Uh, So he who rules, a king, for example. So some people, like me, think he was the actual king over the whole empire. The big cheese himself, King Cyrus, uh, and he's just going by the title Darius here, he who holds the scepter. Other people think, no, this is actually just the, the governor of the province of Babylon, which secular history would tell us was this guy named Guberu, which is just a great name, uh, no matter how you pronounce it. I mean, so many nickname possibilities. Uh, Guber, King Gooby, the Goobster, we could go on. But whether it was the big wig King Cyrus himself, or whether it was our friend Governor Gu, either way, what is clear is that he had significant power and oversight in Babylon. In Babylon, he was king. The chief overseer of the land. He spoke, things would happen. So for simplicity, we'll call him Darius, just like the text does. And apparently, Darius was, was pretty good at this whole oversight thing. Check out verse 1. 
It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps would give account so that the king might suffer no loss. So evidently Darius was the master delegator. He had delegation down. He sets up this great administration system where he's got these levels of management and he makes sure nobody's left unaccountable. Everybody better be bringing in the taxes because the king's going to have no shortage here. So he sets up these levels of management and you've got over some 120 satraps and three high officials over them. And you might quickly gloss over these satraps as if they're unimportant. And their union leader will quickly remind you they're the engine which makes everything run. Um, I kid, of course, but in reality, I bring that up to say these satraps were not your entry-level positions. These guys were really prominent in the land. They carried with themselves the authority of the king. And, and if we understand this administration correctly, they're only one big promotion away from getting the ear of the king himself. Now, up to this point, we find that only three officials have this honor, the ear of the king. And once again, we find our friend Daniel in a place of prominence in a foreign government. And it's somewhat surprising because we might expect that as the kingdom of Babylon makes way for a new kingdom and new leaders come in, that, that Daniel might not retain his spot in the king's court of Babylon. So we might expect Daniel to lose his position, but, but that's not the case. turns out he's one of the most important and prominent men in the land. And not only is he among the most three powerful officials, look at verse 3. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So not only is Daniel among the top officials, he is set to become the most powerful official in the land. And earlier I mentioned this is somewhat surprising that Daniel's in this position, but if we already read the earlier chapters in this book, it's also pretty unsurprising that Daniel yet again finds himself in favor with another king. Apparently, he's a pretty remarkable guy. Uh, all these kings want to keep him around, and they loved him. But before we begin to sing Daniel's praises, we're reminded in this verse the reason why Daniel was so beloved and appreciated. Why was he so distinguished? Look at, look at verse 3. In the middle of verse 3, he was so distinguished above all the high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. Because an excellent spirit was in him. This, this sounds very familiar to, in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar's assertion that in Daniel was found the spirit of the holy gods. This is his pagan way of Understanding that there's something different, something supernatural going on with Daniel. As we understand it, simply put, the Most High God was with him, working in him and through him. Remember, God's work is what should be noted. As we read this book, it's very easy to get caught up in the accolades of Daniel. 
But who is the hero of this book? Daniel or the Most High God? Certainly, Daniel's a pretty neat guy, and he did some great things. But he understood what Nebuchadnezzar did not, that all he accomplished was only possible through God's enabling grace. More on that later. So, God is with Daniel, working through him, and he's about to get this big promotion. And well, some of the other guys, they kind of wanted that promotion. So naturally, they're jealous. Jealous enough to take some pretty drastic measures. Uh, And I can't help but bring up uh, a source that I rely on heavily in my study, VeggieTales, varying levels of accuracy, right? And, uh, you know, in that, they talk about doing these terrible things to Daniel, like giving him jelly donuts and taking them away, or using him as a table to play Scrabble on because it rhymes with Babylon. But let's see, verse 4, what they really come up with here. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. We'll read on here. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Okay, so things escalate pretty quickly here. Daniel said to get this big promotion. His coworkers are very upset about this, so upset about this, they work in cahoots and devise a plan to take care of their problem. And it seems like maybe it started out as just, just a political hit job as they tried to find some complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, the text says, something they could use to discredit him, to show that he's disloyal to the kingdom. They were probably thinking, as corrupt politicians themselves, that surely every politician is corrupt, so therefore Daniel has something that he's hiding in his closet. But they thought wrong. They came up empty. And so soon what may have been just a political hit job now turns into a straight-up hit job. Except it's a little more messy than that. I mean, why kill someone when you can have someone else do it for you? Even better, how about the, the king himself? Let, let's, let's hide behind the unchangeable law of our nation. Man, they must have been feeling pretty good about, about themselves. They had a pretty good plan. And in order to come up with this plan, they must have spied on Daniel in their attempt to find fault in him. And the only thing they could find to use as leverage against him was his allegiance to God, 
which would have been on full display for all to see, as we'll see in a moment. So they come up with this idea. Let's make this law. We're going to convince the king it's a good idea that nobody should make a petition. Nobody should pray to anybody but the king for 30 days. Apparently, after watching Daniel just live his life, they figured that he would not put his allegiance to the empire over his allegiance to God. Keep in mind, he's so loyal to the empire, they can't find any fault in his loyalty to the empire. But they knew just by the testimony of how he lived his life that he would not put his allegiance to God below his allegiance to the empire. And it turns out they were right. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So with the order to cease praying to God under threat of death, what does Daniel do? He continues to pray to God just as he had done previously. And so he falls into this trap set for him. Or you might say, with knowledge of the law, he willingly jumped straight into their trap. He continues to pray, just as he had done before. And notice with me where he faces when he prays. Towards Jerusalem. He faces toward what was once a strong kingdom. But now, Jerusalem is far away. Somewhere off in the distance, the the temple and the city walls lie in ruin. God's kingdom seems far off. Perhaps God himself seems far off. But the threat of death is very near. You know, sometimes we like to blame our failures on the environment or the circumstances we find ourselves in. You know, we might say, you know, I, I only lashed out at home because things are just so stressful at work. Yes, I, I lusted after someone, but it was only because my partner wasn't meeting my needs. We love to make excuses. It makes us feel better about our sin. When things seem to be going great, at least the way we like it, it, it seems it's pretty easy to follow God. I mean, we're up on the hills. But as soon as we get into those valleys, and we do get into those valleys... Man, we like to think we have a license to sin. We think, it's okay. God will understand that I'm just going through a low point right now. And in Daniel's case, the circumstances sure would make a nice excuse. They were going to kill him. All he had to do was stop praying for 30 days. Take a little break, you know. It'd be very easy for him to chalk this up to say, you know what, I'm just going to take a little sabbatical from praying, a little break for 30 days to save my neck. I'll get right back to it. 30 days to save my neck, God will understand. It would have been so easy for him to make that excuse. But Daniel determined, he determined to follow God regardless of the situation he found himself in. Or the consequences. And this isn't the first time we've seen this in Daniel's life. If you can think back to chapter 2, he faced death there as well with his friends when he refused to eat the king's meat 
sacrifice to idols. Now, he and his friends knew well that if they did so, it probably wasn't going to go well for them. They were going to be taken out. But even knowing that they faced death for doing so, with confidence, they chose to honor God and obey him. Even in a foreign land, far away from home, far away for comfort and normalcy, the circumstances weren't great, but they didn't use it as an excuse. And perhaps here, thinking on that circumstance, Daniel clearly knows what's at stake once again. His life is at stake. And once again, with confidence, he chooses to honor God. In the low points and the valleys of our life, instead of running away from God with excuses, let us run to God with confidence, like Daniel. And in all this, Daniel prayed with confidence. Uh, Look at verse 10 one more time. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. The first and the last line of this verse, so key. The first says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed. The text leaves us with no question as to whether Daniel had knowledge of what was at stake. He understood the cost. And in the face of the penalty of death, he continued as if nothing had changed. Now that is confidence. And not confidence necessarily that God was going to protect him. But confidence in doing what is right, even in death. I like the way one commentator put it, that that Daniel was not so much disobeying the king as he was obeying his true king. Daniel offers us a good example of persevering in righteousness, even when we know doing so involves or even brings on directly personal suffering or loss. And even in some cases when doing so means breaking the rules. But it's not easy. The temptation to save our skin is strong. We know this. Our natural instinct is like Peter to deny any association. I never knew him and we, and we run so fast. But like Peter and like Daniel, despite our fears and despite the cost, we can learn with God's help to be bold for him. To remain faithful even when it hurts and even when we might be the only ones to do so. After denying Jesus, Peter went on to die for following Jesus. Let's see what happens with Daniel here. Verse 11. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Big surprise there. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, 
pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Daniel's fate has been sealed literally, by the signet of the king himself and his lords as a no doubt massive stone was rolled over the den, blocking the light and any hope of escape from what would become Daniel's tomb. The king, having his hands tied by the law, tried to find a way, some way, to deliver Daniel from this fate, to rescue him, but he could not. Even the king did not have the power to save Daniel. All the king could do was hope, beyond hope, that somehow this God who Daniel chose to serve, even in death, would somehow save him. And the text doesn't tell us how Daniel was feeling in all this, but I think the evidence suggests that he likely displayed outwardly the unwavering trust in God that he had inwardly. I I think the king's anguish shows us this because I think the king's anguish at night is, is not as much about the guilt he was feeling or even mourning over the certain death of his highest official. I think it was more about being able, not being able to sit still with the thought that just maybe Maybe this God Daniel continually serves, even in death, maybe he can deliver him this night. And you have to believe Daniel himself shared the same resolve as his friends did, Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who, in the face of being burned alive, told King Nebuchadnezzar that they believed God had the power to save them from the fire. But even if he chose not to, they told the king, even if he chooses not to save us, we're still going to obey our God. We're still going to obey him, even in death. And just as God did not remain idle in the fire, he does not remain idle here. Verse 19, then at daybreak, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? 
Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. God once again proves that he is the most high. He once again proves that he is a God of action, and he acts for the good of his people and the glory of his name. There is nothing that happens that is outside of his oversight and control. There is no evil plan that can triumph against him or his servants. No wickedness will he not avenge. No man can can live unless he gives him breath, and no man can die unless he allows it. He is the Most High God, sovereign over the fire, sovereign over the lions, sovereign over all. And and King Darius, crying out in a tone of anguish, the text says, he couldn't even wait until he got all the way to the lion's den. As he's drawing near, he starts crying out, has your God, Daniel, whom you serve continually, has he been able to deliver you? Has your God been able to deliver you? And that question cried out in desperation so long ago is, is the same question that I ask of you this morning. Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you? Of course, your answer to that question depends on who or what your God is, who or what you serve continually. For there is only one God who actually delivers. There is only one God who is able to rescue. There is only one God who saves. The most high God, the one true God, the God of the Bible who saved Daniel from the mouth of the lion, who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus is that son given. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the Savior, the only one who saves. Do you know him? Is he the one who you serve continually? The God who saves is the hero of this story, not Daniel. We might be tempted to read this account and think, you know, there's just no way I could be faithful like Daniel was. He's just too good. But if you're reading that way, you're missing the point. Daniel was not some buffed up superstar. He didn't have some innate human quality that helped him be more obedient and faithful. No, the, the spirit of God enabled him to obey. We should not read these stories in this book and think, wow, would you look at Daniel and his ability? We should read and think, wow, would you look at God and his grace? 
apart from the Spirit of God, Daniel would have been powerless to remain faithful like he was. This is such a huge part of what the Bible teaches that human righteousness, our ability to do genuine good before a holy God is only possible by the Spirit of God enabling us to do so. Of course, we see this in our very salvation. Did you know it is impossible to be saved? It is impossible to know Jesus apart from the work of the Spirit of God in your heart. We do not and cannot stumble our way into Christ. When we first come to saving faith in Jesus, we do so only by the power of the Holy Spirit regenerating our hearts. Jesus called this being born again. The process by which God, with no help from us, imparts to us new spiritual life. Saving knowledge of Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Our entire being is changed. The old has passed away and the new has come. In Ezekiel, the description is of a new heart within us. God replaces our heart of stone, one that is unable to trust and obey him, with a new heart that is moldable, a heart of flesh that is able to trust and obey All this puts the emphasis, of course, on God's work, not ours. Uh, That is what Daniel's life shows us. That not how great Daniel is, but how great God is and his his saving and enabling grace. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't have a part to play in being obedient and faithful. But it does mean Now we recognize where, or more accurately, who our ability to do good comes from and for whose glory we do it. Like Daniel, we serve God by his power and for his glory. And isn't it amazing to realize that we, as unworthy as we are, we actually have a part to play in bringing God glory. I think Daniel knew this. And I think he became keenly aware that he had a role to play in glorifying God amongst the nations. First, of course, it was with the Babylonian Empire and now even the greater Medo-Persian Empire. Check out how the king Darius responds to all this. Verse 24. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. So the first thing Darius does is deliver justice to those who planned this evil plot. And just in case you wondered if the lions just weren't hungry with Daniel or they didn't like human flesh, apparently they do. But it's a sad and ugly scene of judgment. As judgment is delivered, there is no rescue for the wicked. But then see what King Darius does next and notice to whom it is directed. Verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, 
Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. To every people, nation, and tongue, Darius makes a decree to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. And if we could have any response to this story today, we can find a good place to start in what Darius tells us to do. We too should tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. And this decree of a, a pagan king so long ago, are, are, and the words that are included in the next verse here, it's a fitting declaration for our response, a declaration of truth about who the Most High is. And so we're going to do something a little different here. We're going we're gonna to put the words up on the screen. I'm going to invite Pastor Luke to come on up as well. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to read this together, line by line. So I invite you to stand, and I'll lead us as we read this together in response. And then when we're done reading, Pastor Luke will lead us in some words of song as well. But first, let's read this together. We'll go line by line, and I'll lead us. Are you ready? Tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And aren't you glad, as those who need rescuing, that he delivers and rescues. Our God saves. Let's sing that together.
pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who saves. We are so thankful as those who need saving that you can and you do save. And we thank you for salvation in Jesus this morning. If we put our trust in him, we can know with confidence that you save. Be with us as we go. Help us to remember your good news. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, through the Spirit. Amen. God be with you as you go.